Boy, glorious music this morning, wasn't it? Man, tell you what, it just doesn't get any better than that wonderful choruses and that great old hymn. Praise God. Well, I'm excited this morning. I am thrilled about the upcoming days. And uh, look at these uh, bleachers over here. We, we just start, we're going to start standing them up like cordwood around here. And uh, no, that's a beautiful uh, thing that they put together for our Easter dramatic presentation. And it is going to be amazing. And I'm grateful that, uh, and for those of you that are our online guests and uh, online family, we love you. And maybe you'll see fit to be able to start coming in person. Uh, I understand we're going to the next tier this week, and that might alleviate the fears of some. And so we hope that you'll be here with us because in person is incredible. And we're going to have an awesome time on that uh, dramatic presentation I will tell you, nothing is as amazing as the greatest story ever told. And though it's been told a thousand, a million times, the presentation you're going to see at this dramatic uh, theatrical production, musical, is just amazing. Uh, we still get people who uh, write us uh, saying they came two years ago. And by the way, it's the same dramatic presentation, even better. And so we hope that you'll be here. All right, this morning, who is God. That is our series. And I am telling you, I have had such a thrill to just talk about and study about my favorite subject, and that is our Lord. I am so grateful to be able to talk about who God is. Now, is God someone we can know or an incomprehensible mystery? Mystery. You know, there are lots of mysteries around Easter season. There's some mysteries it seems like could pop up. I uh, read this week a cute little thought and thought I'd share it with you. And I'm not sure exactly why there's so much candy around Easter, but I, and all kinds of candy and baked goods, uh, but I'm sure glad there is. I tell you what, I certainly enjoy it. But uh, speaking about mystery question, what do you need if your chocolate eggs mysteriously disappear? What do you need? Well, you need an explanation from someone. And uh, I know that's corny, but uh, the fact is uh, uh, I've been there because my chocolate eggs seemed to get stolen, especially when Ruth was at home. I don't know what it was about her, but uh, she, uh, she loves good food and she, nothing was safe. But uh, when it comes to God, I think we need an explanation because he is a mystery and yet he desires to be known. Reason tells us that there's no way finite can understand infinite. Our experiences in life will confirm that. The trying to figure out God is like, um, well, kind of like me trying to figure out a woman. <laughs> I, uh, I saw this uh, cute little uh, picture I thought you would enjoy. Put it up, please. How to understand a man. That's the full edition on the left. On the right, how to understand a woman. That's only part one right there. Well, amen. Yes, it's not easy to understand sometimes. Charles Spurgeon once said this as well. Might a gnat seek to drink in an ocean as a finite creature comprehend an eternal God? A God who we could totally comprehend, he said, would be no God. If we could grasp 
him, he would not be infinite. If we could understand, he would not be divine. A great English Puritan, a hymn writer, one of the great Reformation leaders, Richard Baxter wrote this, a sea is no longer a sea if you can hold it in a spoon. My friend, does that mean then that God is unknowable? Well, ponder this question for a moment. If the question is, what is the full measure of God like? Then I think we would have to admit God's unknowable. No way to know God. But if the question is, what has God disclosed about himself? Then the answer would be unfathomable, but thank God he has revealed some things about himself that are knowable. God's essential nature, incomprehensible. But in great love, he has chosen to reveal some things. We can actually know the unknown. And so this morning, this is the doctrine of God's incomprehensibility. You may have never heard a message about this, but you've heard suggestions about how big God is. And so this morning, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach about you. Lord, I'm humbled by it. I'm thrilled by it. I'm grateful to have the chance. And Lord, I just am so grateful to have been able to look into your word. And I pray that the thoughts will be as big a blessing to these, my brothers and sisters, those that are experienced in the Lord, those that are new, and those who might even be just kicking the tire a little bit, checking it out. That Lord, you would just meet with each one of us. And Holy Spirit, that's your job. You can interpret to each one, so I ask that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible is clear. We can never really truly comprehend God, but thank God He is knowable. In the Old Testament, King David mused that God's nature was unsearchable. Psalm 145, verse 3, please. In fact, let's read that together if you would, please. Psalm 145 verse 3, out loud, ready? Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable, so immense, so amazing, that after you've said every compliment you could say about God, He's a million times greater and way too deep for comprehension. When I was growing up down in the Central Valley, in the Tulare area. When I was growing up, there wasn't much to do in the hot summers. The town below us there was Bakersfield, and they called it Bakersfield for a reason, because every summer you would bake for sure. But one of the things we got to do was to go down to the community pool. My mom would come and sit there, and I can remember swimming or paddling or whatever I was doing down there in the Shadow Inn. And never really quite been able to touch my feet to the bottom. It was a great day when I could touch the bottom. I felt like I was really getting somewhere. And then the day came when I could go and swim in the deep end, even dive down to the bottom. And it was a glorious moment. You know, that's sometimes how I feel with being in Scripture. Sometimes I'm wading through it and I feel like, my goodness, I'm just, I can't even touch my feet. It's deeper. Maybe I get a little sense of understanding about God and I'm saying, hey, look at there. I think I'm getting a little bit of stability and then only to realize that it's way deeper than I feel. The fact is God's riches of his wisdom and his grace and his love and his who he is, is unsearchable. In the Old Testament, 
Job, the great Old Testament man of God, look what he said in Job 26 and verse 14. Lo, these are part of his ways, only part. <laughs> How little a portion is heard of him. We, God is so big, we only know a, a portion of how big he is. The thunder of his power, who can understand? Nobody has even yet figured out how to lightning or thunder works. And Job is saying, God is like that. He is so great and so power, nobody can understand him. Well, let's go to the book of Romans now together. And we're going to walk slowly through this wonderful New Testament garden. And we're going to look at some beautiful things there. Now, you may remember Romans chapter 11. Let me give you the context. Here, the Holy Spirit is discussing Israel's future. Israel sometimes, uh, especially at this moment, when the Apostle Paul was uh, giving, was the human instrument of the Scripture, at this moment, they were kind of wondering what was about ready to happen. Did God have a future for His chosen people, or had He disregarded them? No, there is a great future for them. The fact is, God is now bringing in the Gentiles. Millions and millions of people will come to Christ in the days to follow. And thank God, 2,000 years later, we are still coming to Christ. It is such a glorious thing. But God is not done with Israel. And so that's the theme of chapter 11 and how that God can weave this great thing all together and how he can save everyone. That's the theme of these verses we're going to talk about. This is what would be known as the doxology. And so let's look at it. Three truths about God that are beyond human comprehension. Number one, God's mind, unfathomable. Look at verse 33. In fact, let's read verse 33 together, if you would, please. Verse 33. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. An unfathomable deepness about God, a profundity that no one can ever examine. The extent of God's intellect is beyond any comprehension. I mean, it's just uh, nobody can even grasp it. There have been some brilliant humans. It is widely thought that in history, at least, two of the greatest minds were Leonardo da Vinci and Galileo. In modern times, uh, people think about Albert Einstein. Actually, they say that probably the most brilliant person that has ever lived in modern ages is William Sidis or Sidis. Not sure how you pronounce that, but it is he is the inspiration behind that Hollywood film called Good Will Hunting. He was an American child prodigy. His IQ between 200 and often measured over 300. Now, anything over 130 is considered genius. By age two, William was reading the New York Times. He was typing out letters on the typewriter in English and also in French. He went to Harvard at the age of nine. Now, he was one brilliant intellect, and yet compared to God, nothing. They're saying, and that's human intellect. Now they are saying that artificial intelligence, AI, as it's known, they said has the potential of just surpassing hum, humans to, to no end. In fact, recently, a, a human, excuse me, a artificial intelligence just uh, got their medical degree and passed the medical boards just on its own. It 
was given a command and it uh, searched things out and was able to do that. And yet, folks, the, the wisdom of God, the mind of God, the IQ of God is a zillion times what any human or any computer will ever be. In Psalm 92 and verse 5, a simple but profound reminder. Look at it. O Lord, how great are thy works and thy thoughts, thy mind, thy IQ, the knowledge you possess are very deep. Not just deep, very deep. You don't get into God for a very few minutes until all of a sudden you're realizing, my goodness, God is deep. This is so deep. And if you've ever experienced just getting into the Word, you'll know what I'm talking about. You just say, boy, this is, this is something else. Today, people are continually trying to translate the Bible. Others, frankly, are trying to rewrite the Bible. The concept is we need to make the Bible more understandable. I think there's probably some value in that to a degree. But I will tell you this, and listen closely. If mankind ever succeeds in getting the Bible 100% understandable, here's what I'll tell you, that'll no longer be the Word of God. <laughs> because God's Word can never be totally fathomed. He is unsearchable. His, the depths of God are far beyond, beyond what any of us can look at. I remember my dad uh, telling me the story that my dad is a first-generation Christian. I had the blessing of being born into a Christian home. In fact, my sister just reminded me because it's my birthday this week, and uh, she uh, reminded me that I was born on Easter Sunday. I said, I didn't know that. But anyway, I was born on Easter Sunday. My dad, when he got saved, he started reading the Bible. And here was one of the passages he read. He told me he started to read this and thought, what have I done? Romans chapter 7, verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that what I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He said he shook his head and went, what in the world? The truth is, if you've been saved for very long, you understand that verse. You know the fact is that the flesh is willing, or the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That is, the fact is, we just uh, would like to do something good for God, but it doesn't always work out that way. If you begin to study Scripture... You only go a little while until you begin to plead with God. Oh, Lord, help me to understand your word. All week long as I'm studying and praying, and as I think I mentioned last week, I, I try to get my mind going uh, real early in the week on the matter. And because I want all week long the Holy Spirit to speak to me. And I'll say, Lord, what do you think about this? And I'll begin to ask. And, you know, as you begin to ask God, he'll give you some light. But then as you get light into one thing, you begin to see, oh my goodness, this is bigger, way bigger than I ever could imagine. And that's what happens when you study Scripture. Now, thank God when you study the Word, clarity comes. But never can you say, I totally understand that Scripture because it is so profound. Someone once said about God and His wisdom and His mind, it is impossible to unscrew the unscrutable. In fact, uh, the incomprehensibility of God in theological circles is known as the unscrutability of God. The Holy Spirit says, the only way you could ever understand anything is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look at what it says in verse 33. Oh, and by the way, when it says oh, 
That's meaning from the heart. Oh, wow. This is, woo, this is way out there. The depth of God's knowledge. Now, the riches of God's knowledge. Limitless riches. Limitless. I mean, you can never get to the end of the riches of God's word, the wisdom behind it. They are saying that the first trillionaire will likely be uh, Jeff Bezos. Mr. Bezos is the founder of Amazon. He now already has uh, so much money that it's just, uh, you can't even fathom how much money he has. I read this week that if Mr. Bezos spent a million dollars a day, it would take him 410 years to blow his fortune. A million dollars a day. Now, folks, that's rich, but I will tell you what, the limitless riches of God's wisdom are never depleted and never drained. His riches are so incredible. God's mind is beyond anything conceivable. And when you read scripture, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And not only does his, or the facts that he knows amazing, but his wisdom is. Look what this verse says clearly. Oh, the depth of his knowledge, the, uh, the depth of his riches, but not only the knowledge of God, notice what it says, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Now, it's one thing to know facts. It's another to use them correctly. Now, there are a lot of people today who talk about science. Everybody today says the science says this, or we follow the science, which might be true. It, the only problem is it's oftentimes junk science, but they follow it. But God's science is true science. The Apostle Paul called the world science often uh, falsely so-called. But God not only takes science, which means knowledge, God takes knowledge and science and he puts it to wisdom. He uses it. He applies it absolutely perfectly. God's plan is always the best and it always works. Now, have you ever had a plan that you thought was going to be good, but it didn't work? <laughs> I have. I've had some brilliant plans. <laughs> didn't quite work out like I thought. Kind of like some of the things going on at our capital in Sacramento right now, but which uh, I think give new meaning to our founding father, Benjamin Franklin, when he said, we are all born ignorant, but one must work hard to remain stupid. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how I feel sometimes about myself, but sometimes some of the things I see going on, like, oh my goodness, how can that be that way? The Apostle Paul, when he said the whole scheme of salvation, so profound, so grandiose, so deep, he was absolutely overwhelmed that God could pull it all off. It reminds me of King David's exclamation after hearing of God's creative powers. Look what it says in Psalm 139, verse 6. Such knowledge, <laughs> when I see what God has done to put a body together, to put a human together, Psalm 139, such knowledge is too wonderful. It is high. It is so high I cannot attain to it. A few a couple of years ago, Pauline and I splurged, and I convinced her to go on a hot air balloon with me. I, uh, we don't do a lot of thrill sports, but every once in a while we've done a few things. This was one of those moments. We went over to Napa there, and we got on a hot air balloon, and the concept seemed reasonable enough. You get in a basket, they put some hot air in that thing, and you float around for a while, come down, and it all seemed pretty good until he began to explain a little bit more. First of all, he said that the only thing keeping this up is hot air. If there's a rip up there, we're going to be in trouble. 
He said, if we run out of propane, we're going to be in trouble. And he said, just so you know, there's no steering wheel on this thing. All of a sudden, I was like, uh, yeah, how do you steer one of these dumb things? He said, well, the wind at different levels just goes different directions. So we just find what direction we want to go. He said, we just spit outside and whatever direction our spit goes, that's how we can. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. And uh, he said, I said, well, where do you land? He said, we well, don't know. We just land wherever. I said, really? Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was amazing. But I will tell you, the higher we went, the more amazing it really was. We would certainly advocate. In fact, some of you, I'll even pay if you want to go. But uh, no, some of you folks give me a little trouble, but uh, I'm just kidding. The fact is, folks, we want to, God is so high. He is so great that, I mean, the higher you go, (laughs) it's just, you can't believe it. It's just amazing and still higher to go. There are three truths about God's and his incomprehensibility, first of all, his mind, unfathomable. Second of all, his means, how he does things, unmeasurable. Look at verse 30. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments or his decisions. The actual word there is a legal word, his judgments, his verdicts, the sentences that he gives, unmeasurable, totally accurate. He takes everything into consideration. Sometimes we watch uh, these uh, court's decisions take place, and we say, oh, that's just, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's just. I don't think that's correct. And sometimes that's probably true. But God always takes everything into consideration. He judges this way and that way, and it's always done wise. Let's go to Psalm 147. In Psalm 147, we find in the Old Testament hymnal, the book of Psalms, David is thought to be the author of the last five books, very similar in their style. He's elderly, we're thinking. But in verse 5 of 147, here this wonderful old man of God, this great leader of a nation, said, here's what I've discovered about our God. Great is our Lord and of great power. And his understanding, how he does things, how he works things together, infinite. He looked around and he said, nobody's like God. He looked at Ashtaroth, that grotesque uh, god of the Canaanites. He looked at Baal. He looked at Chemosh. He looked at Dagon, the fish god. And he said, wow, nothing compared to Jehovah God. They have nothing to offer. But God, he is so gracious, merciful, and loving. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament echoed the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. But God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The only way we can ever really grasp anything of God is that the Holy Spirit teaches us. Look at verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of Uh, man save the spirit of that which is in him. Only God can integrate love and wrath. Only God can put together grace and justice. Only God can talk about holiness and patience. Only God can put together a holy jealousy, perfectly coordinated all together. Only God can do something like that. Infinitely complex and yet amazing that God can do that. How is it possible, for example, that God can hear every Christian, millions of Christians, 
all at the same time. God is able to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. He is able to weep with those who are weeping. He is able to hear those that have a need. He's able to give blessings to those that are wanting to praise him. I tell you what, how can God understand people? I have a hard time understanding people. In fact, especially now with people wearing masks, I have a real hard time understanding. And if I talk to some young person who's wearing one, I'm like, oh, I have no idea. I, I only catch about one out of every 10 words. My wife says it's because I need a hearing aid, but uh, I'm not saying that quite yet. But uh, the, fact is, uh, the fact is, we have a hard time understanding people, don't we? But God never does. He hears everybody at the same time, all simultaneously. How that God can do that? Unmeasurable. Unfathomable, his mind. Unmeasurable, the way he does things. And finally, his methods? Untraceable. Number three, God's methods are untraceable. Look at verse 33. Oh, the depth, the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And then look at this. His ways past finding out. Impossible to trace the ways of the Lord. Past finding out. The metaphor in the Greek is actually for someone who tries to find the elusive track of an animal. They lose track. And you think, where did that thing go? Tracking an animal. You know, when you were kids, maybe you go out in the field and you try to track, you know, you're looking for where that, you know, dog went or you see some tracks. I was on a golf course the other day and I saw some, some kind of looking track in the sand trap. I thought, good night, it looked like a dinosaur uh, paw there. I thought, what in the world kind of a thing was crawling out here at nighttime, you know, the, the black lagoon monster or something. But the fact is no one can, they're elusive. No one can track them, but God said his ways, nobody can track God. They are past finding out. That's actually what the word means. It means it is untraceable. Now, if you try to understand and follow exactly what God is doing, you'll lose your path. Let me give you a real life example of what I'm talking about. I get concerned when God's people get kind of hooked into a charismatic scenario, maybe a Bible study, maybe someone giving them uh, CDs or encouraging a certain podcast or going to these conferences or whatever, I, I get a little concerned because part of the charismatic teaching is this, that, that everybody has the right to healing. It's, in the, it's guaranteed in the atonement and there are other gifts that they uh, certain to emphasize. But here is what I've found will happen. And they, by the way, not understanding the full meaning of that uh, phrase when healing is in the atonement. But here's what often happens. So they will claim a healing only to find out that God doesn't heal like that. God's not going to be at our beck and command. Now, thank God he answers prayer. Thank God he tells us to pray. And thank God he often heals people. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. But the Holy Spirit is like the wind. I have seen too many people that have gotten all hooked into some doctrine and then all of a sudden it didn't pan out like they thought because they had God in a box. They had God all figured out. But folks, his ways are unsearchable. His ways are incomprehensible. We can't guarantee anything. We can hope, we can pray, we can thank God, we can praise God. But the fact is we have to let God be God. That's what Asaph, the chief musician said in Psalm 77 verse 19. 
Thy way is in the sea. I love that phrase. Thy way is in the sea. Have you ever tried to follow the tracing of a boat? You might be able to see it for a few moments, but pretty soon it's gone. It says thy footsteps are not known. God walks in the sea. You can't find his footprints. They are untraceable beyond our capacity to see. That's what the apostle Paul reminded the Corinthian church. Look what it says, 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see, we see, hallelujah, I see, (laughs) I see now. Yes, but look how we see. We see through a glass darkly. Nobody sees face to face. We hope and we thank God when we get clarity. But even with that clarity, it's still dark. In fact, look what it says. I only know in part. We only know part of what God is doing. Now, to, get up, to keep our sanity, God gives us a little bit of tidbits. But the truth is nobody can trace God's hand. I think until we get to heaven, we won't know that. Many have wondered, for example, why God would take my wife, Lynette. Why God would do such a thing. Here in her early 50s, God, in the prime of her life, a mother of all these children, a very uh, wonderful servant of God, why would God do such a thing? And I've had to say many a time, I have no idea. (laughs) That's, That's all in God's business. That's the incomprehensibility of God. Now, can I know some things about it? Yes, I can know he's loving. I can know he's gracious. I can know he's merciful. But do I comprehend and fathom what he's doing? No. The incomprehensibility of God helps me to know that I just don't know everything. And the amazing thing is it gives me comfort that God does God things. And I'm okay with that. God does God things. And you know what? We can be comfortable in that thought because God is so wise. There are three reinforcing questions that the Holy Spirit gives us in this passage. First of all, does anybody know God's mind perfectly? Look at verse 34. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Would anybody here care to say, boy, I tell you one thing, I know what God is doing. Really? Anybody? No, we don't know what God is doing because uh, imagine an ant trying to understand what a human is doing. And in no way, it doesn't happen that way. We read things in scriptures and we have more questions when we end than when we started. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 13. The great prophet Isaiah said it 2,500 years ago. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Who would say that they are so smart that they have counseled the Lord. They have counseled God how to do things. Now, when I was a young uh, junior high into early high school years, we'd play a lot of uh, schoolyard football. And I never was a really fast runner. I could get out there a bit, but never real fast. But Larry, oh my goodness, he was super fast. He had long legs. He was thin. And I'm telling you what, that guy could just run But I had pretty good arm on me, and so I kind of prided myself on throwing that ball. And Larry and I, we always had kind of a secret weapon. Whenever we'd play, we'd kind of just know what was going to happen. I'd basically, as soon as he got about 10 yards off of the scrimmage line, I'd throw it as hard as I could. I could get it maybe, maybe 40 yards on my best throw. But he could run under that thing, and he'd already blow by the defender. And sure enough, I don't know how many times I've seen him stretch his arms out there, catch that ball, go for a touchdown. We were like the secret weapon, me and Larry. 
I thought I was a pretty good uh, quarterback. Well, now imagine me in my schoolyard football and my thought of being a really pretty good quarterback. Imagine me sitting down, Tom Brady, six-time, is it six-time Super Bowl winner? I don't know how many times. Anyway, the greatest of all time. Imagine me sitting down, Tom Brady, and saying, Mr. Brady, I want to tell you a thing or two. Here's how you can be a good quarterback. And that's about like we are with God. God, I want to tell you how you should do things, God says. Oh, really? Okay, well, nobody ever counsels God. And that's what Paul said. Oh, how ridiculous. Number two, does the Lord, who does the Lord go to for advice? Hey, we all need advice, but who does the Lord go to? Who has been his counselor? He said, the word counselor is two words there. It means someone close by who tells you things, kind of a soulmate, an alter ego. God doesn't need human suggestions. In fact, um, when the humans do suggest things, they only mess things up. Look what Job said in Job 42, verse 3. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Here he said, truth of the matter is, when I started speaking, I just clouded the issue. I just... I hid the thing. I, I made it all messed up. Now, we need things. We need counsel. I need YouTube, for example. Man, I love YouTube. I, I don't fix a lot of things anymore, but every once in a while I will. And when I do, I go to YouTube. Man, you can get anything on YouTube. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. God doesn't need YouTube. God doesn't need Pinterest. He doesn't need podcasts. God needs no counsel to be God. God is God. Number three, there's a third question here, and that is, who has God in debt to him? Look at verse 35. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. That's just a big way of saying that God is in debt to nobody. Or maybe say it this way, God owes nobody anything. That's what Job reinforced and Job 41 and verse 11, and I love this. I love, I love the attitude of God here. Verse 11, God speaking, who hath prevented me or confronted me? Who has ever confronted me with the fact that I should repay him? God said, I have never been called by a debt collector. Never has anybody ever called me up and said, you owe me. Nobody ever given God a demand letter saying, you owe me, God. God said, no. The fact is, we all owe God an unpayable debt. Everyone, and that's the theme here, whether you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, young or old, we owe God. He owes us nothing. Now, I meet some people sometimes who seem like they got God all figured out. I mean, they don't even need church because, you know, it's kind of for silly things or, you know, it's kind of minimal things or minor things. They have much more things to do with their time than go to church, like uh, going home and trying to beat Mario. Or 58 times a day, the average person checks our smartphone. You know, things, very important things like that. Or the hundreds of times we, uh, the hours they spend on Facebook or Instagram. The truth is, no, God is incomprehensible. He is an amazing and great God. He is someone we can know. Now, there are two implications from this. Implication number one, and that is, I am deeply humbled. God is incomprehensible. Yes, He is. But is He knowable? Yes, thank God, He's knowable. Because God can never be fully known, it's humbling, so humbling. And no matter how much we know about God, we realize 
there's still so much more to learn. The appropriate response, wonder and awe. One of my favorite, I, I love flowers. I just, uh, I love seeing them. They always amaze me. One of my favorites are California poppies. And once in a while, Pauline, I'll be driving along and, or maybe we'll be walking along. We'll see those. I just love those. Now, they're quite uh, prolific in California. They're everywhere, really. But, um, and they're just a simple little orange color. When we were, had the privilege of serving in, in Italy there, they have a similar looking, only they're red. And they're their own uh, poppies. But we were, but if you take that little California poppy, and here in about a month or so, they'll pop out. Go take one of those and just, uh, just begin looking at that. You'll look at that and say, that is unbelievable. The details, the colors, the texture. I mean, it is incredible. I have a beautiful orchid on my uh, desk there that our sisters uh, gives us. And oh my goodness, I just like, how in the world could anything so amazing? That's God. God, and those things, will, those orchids grow just about anywhere. It's amazing. God is just glorious. My response at all the bigness and the greatness of God, I'm humbled. I'm just humbled. Here I am all worried and God just makes little poppies to grow and they're just incredibly complex. How great God is. The second implication to me, when I think about God's incomprehensibility, I know that's a big Long word there, but the truth is a great truth, a simple truth, but a profound thought here. And that is that not only am I deeply humbled, but thank God I'm strangely assured. For some reason, this doctrine just fills me with conviction, a glorious security in my spirit. Surprisingly, I feel protected that I don't know. I feel wonderful that somebody else is running the ship. I'm so grateful that I don't have everything figured out. I'm so thankful that God's out there doing things. Folks, I've read the last chapter, and while I can't fathom it all, I know that God wins. God is glorious, and because of his death, burial, and his resurrection, we have eternal life. God wins. Thank God, folks, Easter changes everything. Aren't we glad this morning for God's incomprehensibility? Let's give him praise. Let's give him thanks here this morning. I'm so grateful. I just love it. Someone said, the older I get, the less I know. And the more comfortable I become in that knowledge. Isn't that a great truth? The older I get, the less I know. And the glorious thing, the more comfortable I am with that. I am strangely assured at knowing that God is way smarter than I am. And while God can never be exhaustively understood, He can be truly, personally, and thank God, sufficiently known. And that's what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. What's my life's goal? To know Him. To know Him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him. I long to know him. Can we understand him fully? No. He's incomprehensible, unfathomable. Can I know him? Hallelujah. Do you know him? Do you know him?
I know this past year, lots of people have been filled with so much, you know, uh, unsurety and just, just not happy and kind of wonder. And while on a surface level, I think we all get irritated or worried a bit. But the fact is, for those of you who have Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know that down deep, God, He's got it all covered. And my life is in His hands. My times are in His hands. Whatever He chooses to do, that's good with me. Here was David's blessing. Psalm 25 and verse 14. The secret of the Lord. The secret, the, the knowing of God. Thank God is with those who fear Him. If you fear the Lord and you love His Word, the truth is there is a sense of closeness with God and that fills us with this great assurance. Let me close this morning with this wonderful quote. Jim Elliott, great well-known missionary to the South American Indians, Aka Indians, died in his 20s, gave up his life, martyred for the cause of Christ. His wife, Elizabeth Elliot, wrote these words. Listen closely. If God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. And I'm thankful this morning that our God is so big that we worship him. Do we know him fully? No. But thank God, that's okay. But what I do know, I know that he answers prayer. I know that he's a God of wisdom. I know that he's a God of love and mercy and of grace. And that I take to the bank this morning. Because our God, while incomprehensible, is knowable. Would you bow your heads with me, please?